The following is a Pro Football Network podcast, the primary voice for pro football at profootballnetwork.com. Hey everybody, what's up? Trey Wingo here. Welcome into another episode of More Than Football on Pro Football Network. Glad to be with you as we get to continue to slog our way through the preseason to eventually the start of the NFL campaign in 2021 with that Thursday night showdown, September 9th between the Dallas Cowboys and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Delighted to be joined now by Brett Yaris, uh, PFN and brand everything. Well, what's your official title? I don't even know, Brett. What's your official man, title? Man, my official title is is long and arduous, but it's simply the chief innovation officer at Pro Football Network. And then that just means that a lot of other really good people do Whoa. stuff that I get to take credit Whoa. for. Chief innovation officer. Yeah, yeah. Kind of a big deal. People know yeah. You know what, people, not enough people know me. That's why I have to do the show with you. So hopefully people will learn about me through you. You're going to be my, my uh, influencer. Because that's the entire point of the show. Let's get people to know Brett because <laughs> that's what we're selling. It's all, right. it's all here, man. It's all part of the plan. All right, let's go. What, what are we talking about this week? Fire us all right, so look, let's start with, with last night. We had a preseason game, Patriots-Eagles. We thought we were going to see a little bit of Jalen Hurts in week two of the preseason. That didn't happen. Who did we see? Cam Newton and Mac Jones. Now, Trey, I know your thoughts on this, but I want to set the stage for you a little bit. A lot of the social media chatter, conversation, a lot of our audience is is a little overwhelmed here with Mac Jones's performance these last two weeks in preseason. A lot of touchdown passes, seeing a lot of Mac Jones dropping dimes here, there, and wherever. And then you got Cam Newton coming back uh, from his COVID and less than stellar stint in his year one with the Patriots last year. Do you see a quarterback controversy brewing? And would this be the first quarterback controversy for Bill Belichick in the last 20 years? Well, let's address the latter part of it. Would it be? Yes. Is it? No. In my okay. opinion, in no way, shape, or form. Um, you know, social media is really fun in preseason. And by fun, I mean maddening. Because <laughs> everybody is either going to Canton or they all suck. Right? right. That. that there's no middle ground when it comes to people tweeting about watching seven-on-seven seven drills in camp or what Mac Jones or Justin Fields or Trey Lance or Trevor Lawrence or Jordan Love, whoever you – I missed one, Zach Wilson. Whatever they did is either the greatest thing in the world or, man, that guy sucks. So the truth is always in the middle. So there's no controversy, in my opinion, at quarterback for the New England Patriots. Cam Newton's going to be the starter, and Mac Jones will eventually be the starter. But I don't know when that eventually is. But there's a reason that Cam is playing limited time and Mac is playing more time. Right. Because they know that Cam is going to be the starter. And you mentioned last year. I, I think people are forgetting exactly what happened with Cam last year. He was a late signee to the New England Patriots because that's what they do. They always try and get pennies on the dollar, and they did a great job with that contract, getting him for what they got him for. Yeah. There was no offseason. He had no offseason at all to work with Bill Belichick, the coaching staff, and Patriot players before training camp when there was a very little training camp. There were no preseason games last year. And then I believe after week two, he got COVID. Now, I've yeah. had a lot of players tell me, hey, I got COVID and I got rid of it, but I didn't feel right for another six or seven weeks after I officially had lost the virus. Right. So whatever Cam was last year, toss it in the trash. Throw it away. It will not count. Like Dan Orlovsky tweeted 
you know, Cam looked much better this year, tied together everything, hands, feet. I'm like, yeah, because he had an offseason. He had an entire year to work with the organization and the coaching staff and the scheme. And he's going to have preseason games. He's going to have all the stuff he didn't have at his disposal last year. Cam Newton's going to be the start. And listen, if I'm wrong, I will 100% on it and say I did not see that coming. But yep. Cam Newton's going to be the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots. And Mac Jones eventually will be the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots. But it's going to be Cam to start the season. I think it, I think it needs to be too, right? I think I think even just for Mac Jones's sake, it, it needs to be. And and with Cam Newton, man, the like you said, the thing people are underestimating is is the after effects of COVID. Jason yeah. Tatum in the NBA, a young twenty-something year old, right? That's always the adage: is if you're young and you're in your twenties, you're going to be fine. He's taking an inhaler still to this day months after. And I don't think people are treating or giving it the, its due respect, what that did to Cam. Um, and we'll see what happens, man. I mean, well, Mac Jones is lighting it up, uh, but we've seen many people light it up. Mark Sanchez's first ever throw in preseason was a touchdown and yeah. it ended with a butt fumble. So right. we, we got him. Uh, yeah. A couple of things here, right? Deion Dawkins, uh, who just had COVID talked about, like he was on a ventilator and yeah. he had one, he wasn't fully vaccinated yet when he got it. So he actually said in that press conference, I'm glad I got vaccinated. I, he thought I, it could have been much worse. I wasn't sure if I was going to make it. So I'm, I think the vaccine saved me and helped me along those lines. So people don't – it's one thing to no longer have it, but that doesn't mean you're 100% healthy again. Like Mark, Mark Schlereth, my good friend who we have on here all the time on PFN, sums it up best. He says, look, after a surgery, people are like, well, I just want to get back to normal. And Mark had 29 surgeries in his point. Right, right. You're never back to normal. What you feel after the surgery is the new normal. And yep. that's sort of where we're going from. And I think that's what people have had to deal with uh, in coming back from COVID in a lot of cases. There are other people that didn't have any symptoms, and that's fine. But for those that it affected, it doesn't just magically make you feel 100% better after it's gone. You have to work through it. And, and I don't want to get into the point about preseason because I, I've been saying a lot about this. Understand what preseason is and, more importantly, what it isn't, right? Like, there's no game planning going on. There's no preseason is about, okay, this is what we taught the players. Go execute the things that we taught you. Right. That's what preseason games are for young players. For veterans, get a couple snaps, feel comfortable, get in, get out, do what you got to do. But for players like Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, and Jordan Love, I lump him in because he didn't play at all last year and there were no preseason games. Yep. Here's the thing we want you to do. Go do it. It's not – Here's the thing that we want you to do, and here's what the defense is going to do to scheme right, against you right. from doing. That's, that's, the, part, the, game that's, the, not that's the part that doesn't exist in preseason. Right. So that's why you know I wrote about this on Bulletin. It, it's, it can be fool's gold. You mentioned Mark Sanchez. Who had a, what a fine career. I don't want to disparage Mark Sanchez. For sure, day, but, for sure, but, for sure. You, know, you see these things, and you're like, oh, my God. And then you go to the regular season, and you're like, oh, my God. What was that? <laughs> They're totally different. It's like it's like having a tofu burger or a Wagyu beef burger. They're not the same thing. <laughs> They're not the same. Well, look, uh, on that note, let's shift gears here because uh, th our next segment here, in, in we're going to call it more this week, right? What's going on this week? Uh, tonight we have another preseason game. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs led by Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Never mind. My guy, Lucas Niang, starting at right tackle for the second straight week. I just got to throw that in there. Um, they're taking on the Arizona Cardinals. And yep. before the game, Andy Reid said he planned to play his, his starters for the entire half. 
Um, now, he said that the Stars were going to play for a quarter last week. They played 10 snaps. So we'll see how that unfolds. But, Trey, you noted to me privately that was a pretty aggressive strategy. What Talk maybe about the, the Chiefs specifically with that strategy and why they may do that. And you can, you know, we'll talk about the youth on the offensive line as maybe needing to see them gel. But also, just generally speaking, what should be the philosophy with this three-game preseason – Right. And, and in terms of playing time for your vets, your young guys and this new era of, of scheduling we're in in the NFL. Well, there's a couple of things here. First of all, I'm never going to question Andy Reid. He is far better at his job than I am at mine. And he's been really good at it for a well, long time. You're pretty time. good at yours. So that's that's well, how thank you. But the point I'm making is Andy knows what he's doing. And, and we've seen other teams do it. Bill Belichick in the past with Tom Brady has been pretty aggressive in putting him out there a lot in the preseason. Um, but it is different, right? Most most teams shy away in, in this day and age from having their starters play a lot or any in the preseason. Like Sean McVay has already said our starters aren't going to play. Yeah. Head coach of the Rams. Uh, Bruce Arians has said, yeah, Tom Brady, those guys, they're not going to play. Uh, I, I feel like you know, Tom Brady still has a lot to prove, man. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm disappointed he's, he's not being out there getting his reps that he needs. I, I think this is the year it turns around for him. I really believe that. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. And, and, you know, Aaron Rodgers isn't going to play. He didn't play last year in any preseason right. games because there weren't any. He was the MVP of the league. So yep. it is it is certainly a different approach. And and you mentioned the big thing. There's only three preseason games. So this is two, right? Yep. Well, if you recall the way things went in the past, there were four preseason games, five if you played in the Hall of Fame game. And the third game was the dress rehearsal, really. And yep. then the, 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 the third, the fourth game was, hey, bodies to fill it out and people fighting for the last three roster spots. <laughs> right. The, the fourth game was we have to go from 75 bodies to 53 overnight. Let's yeah. see who we're keeping. <laughs> right, exactly. So uh, thankfully they sort of changed that up a little bit so you don't have to keep – like you used to have to literally keep people on a roster to play in a game that you knew you were going to cut yep. just because you needed to play somebody and you didn't want to play any of your starters. That That's how weird it was in the past. So this is their dress rehearsal basically. I don't think they'll play an entire half. I'd be surprised if they play an entire quarter. But they're going to go out there. And the other thing you mentioned with with um, the the Chiefs specifically, which is very interesting, is it is a brand new wall in front of Patrick Mahomes. Completely, um, completely real, and I think completely rebuilt for the good. Uh, and I'm not taking anything away from Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz. I want to be 100% clear about that. They were great players. Yeah. But they've got now a ton of rotating bodies. They can put in there the offensive line. They're trying to mix and match the right parts. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, I think they want to make sure they have the right guys, but I don't want to know how much you want to experiment with that, with that guy behind you. Patrick the $500 Holmes. million dollar man. Yeah. Fig, figure that out in practice, you know, <laughs> figure that part out in practice. So yeah, um, I, I just, it, it is a little more aggressive than most people, but this is their dress rehearsal, but you're right. And there's no right answer. Like people have done it a million different ways. But in this era of football, in this era of preseason football, most teams do not put their starters out much, if at all. And Andy seems to be a little more aggressive in how yeah. he's handling that this year. Yeah, and look, the, the, these overall philosophical questions, I think you just hit the nail on the head, right? There's no right or wrong answer. It, this goes back to the first topic we talked about today, um, rookie versus veteran quarterback. We've seen yeah. teams who are adamant. We draft a rookie quarterback, they're starting no matter what. Uh, or we, we, you know, we, we draft a rookie quarterback, they're sitting like Aaron Rodgers. They're sitting for three years before they're ever going to see the field. It's all about your makeup of your team. And what your team needs may not be what Sean McVay's Rams need, right? And so uh, to your point, this offensive line for the Chiefs, 
three rookies, a free agent, and a guy they traded for in the offseason. That is their starting five right now. Um, one of them is a guy who opted out from last year. So he hasn't played uh, a game snap before last week in like something like 640 something days. Okay. Right. So Lucas Niang. Lucas Niang. So all of these things are, are what goes into a decision. Like what a coach like Andy Reed has to decide. Now, if the starters play for a half, I doubt that Patrick Mahomes plays for a half. No, right. I mean, for example, I would, I would, I would be shocked if Patrick, were I'd be stunned. I'd be stunned because look in, in week one, he played four snaps. The rest of the starters played 10. So, you know, game, game theory that out, maybe he plays the first quarter and, you know, we go from there. there there's a reason that the two betting favorites, according to Caesar Sportsbook, I don't know if you heard, I'm working with Caesars. Uh, the two betting favorites. Is that true? Is that, is, yeah. that, is that, you have sources it's, on that, that you're, it's, you're it's a thing. Yeah, it's, it's, I believe you're, you're a chief and an officer. Chief Trends Officer and Brand Ambassador. Right. So I'm an That's ambassador, right. a chief, and an officer at the same time. So I can arrest myself for being righteously indignant in charge of everything. Um, and then dismiss the charges without having to uh, go run that correct. by anybody. Correct. So the two betting favorites to get back to the Super Bowl this year, according to Caesars, are the Bucks and the Chiefs. Why? Well, the two quarterbacks, uh, the head coaches, and the weapons they have around them. So, uh, you know, I, I think that Andy will be fairly judicious because – the odds would change dramatically if 15 suddenly was not available. No, a hundred percent. And we'll see, you know, we'll see how this plays out tonight. Eight o'clock, by the way, on ESPN. I encourage everyone to watch because, like I said, Lucas Niang is starting. And uh, I know a lot of people have always, you know, have been asking me how he's doing, how it's going to go and whatever. Watch for yourselves tonight at eight o'clock on, uh, on ESPN. We're going to move on to our next topic here on our more this week segment. And guys, every time we do the show, we're going to open up the show with a more this week segment, which is we're going to talk a little bit about more of what's going on this week in and around the NFL. And something new came this week, uh, Trey, but it's actually a little bit of a look back to uh, your main story from last week's show, which was teams mandating their fans being vaccinated to attend games. The latest team to do so is the Las Vegas Raiders. I believe the policy is you have to either have proof of vaccination or proof of a negative test to get into uh, the Death Star Stadium that they built out there in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, what are your thoughts on this? You know, going back to your conversation last week uh, about the New Orleans Saints doing, you know, the same thing. Um, one of the concerns I hear, Trey, is that this is going to be a logistical nightmare. It's going to take 15 hours to get into the games now and, and, you know, the whole nine of whatever. Meanwhile, no one cares that usually they have to show their license to buy a beer online and it takes 15 seconds. Anyway, what are, what are your thoughts on this? And, and do we see this being a domino effect of team after team after team saying, you know what, we're going to do this too? I think it totally depends on the situation in their state. I think that's exactly what it's going to be. And listen, there's a reason. First of all, what you talk about, oh, it's going to be a logistical nightmare. You can find a reason to bitch about anything, right? You can sure. if you want to. Um, a lot of people you know, do. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you, you can say, well, it's going to be, they'll figure it out. You know, the, you know, when people are going crazy, when college kids got paid, oh, oh, it'll be the death of college football. No, they're still playing. World's still spinning on its access. Uh, access. Uh, so a couple of things here. Number one, uh, I think the, the Raiders as, as a business, as a business decided liability is more important than deniability. Right. In other words, what happens if there's a massive outbreak, if someone comes in and has COVID, spreads it to people, 
A lot of people get very, very sick. Worst case scenario, some people pass away. Are the Raiders liable? So the best way to get rid of that is say, fine. As a business, this is what we've decided. We are going to make sure that if you come to our workplace, you're going to have to do this because that's what we decided as a business. And yep. a lot of people who are anti-mandates, masks, vaccines, whatever, their big thing is don't have the government tell me what to do. I'll right. decide what's best. Let businesses decide. Right. Guess what just happened? A yeah. business decided. And you can choose not to participate in that business if you don't want to. But that business made up its own mind. So if that's what you're all about anyway, you can't be mad about this. Because that's what I call selective outrage. If, you're, yeah. if this is something that, that is important to you, you can't say, well, I'm mad about it here, but I'm not, not mad about it here. Okay. Yeah, the, the old bait and switch. Well, it's, it's like when people were screaming about the Patriots and Spygate and all this kind of stuff. Were you that upset when the Browns were texting illegally? Or when the Falcons were found to pump in fake crowd noise. Because if you were outraged about that, you better be outraged about this too. Or when yeah. the Broncos in the late 90s manipulated the salary cap to keep players around, which was way bigger of a competitive advantage or <laughs> right. disadvantage for everybody else than right. anything else we've seen. So show me the anger there. Keep that same energy. Otherwise, you're you're being hypocritical. Um do I think more teams will do it? Yeah, I, I think we probably will, especially if we see situations in certain states like Florida, like Georgia, where they're having a real problem. And teams are going to decide as a business, we can't make this our problem. If right. it's only you, that's a you problem. We're not going to be held responsible. And I think it's a business decision that well, they are making. It would not surprise me if more teams do it. But and it comes down to one word, Trey. That that I at least growing up in this country, I thought you know is, is a word we hear a lot. It's it, it's this is basic capitalism, right? Yeah. This is we have a great supply that there's a ton of demand for in NFL football. Do you want to keep coming to NFL football games? Do you want to keep seeing fans in the stadiums? Do you want to keep seeing players on the field doing their thing for your entertainment? Of course you do. Well, this is how teams are protecting that investment. It's how teams are protecting their money. This is Correct. about business. And that used to be a thing that we called capitalism. And that's yeah. what we're seeing here. That's all this is. Um, yeah. it, it's no government. The government didn't tell the Raiders they have to do this. They're not going to tell other teams they have to do this. The oh, but there, there will be people that will tell you, oh, government made him do it yes well i uh, I, I tell you what I, I i love doing the show i get a little nervous because i know that you know i'm vaccinated so i'm being tracked by bill gates as we speak right now so i want to make sure we're we're good i just here. grew a third arm i don't know if you know that <laughs> good hey that's great more more multitasking is in your in your future um well look we'll see how this works out we'll see how it works out for other teams i think other teams in these hot spot areas we might not see it in the new york area in the northeast but we see it in the south and, and wherever. i'm really curious about the state of florida like you know they 92 percent of hospital beds uh, right now and uh, you know there are several teams in the state of florida and now i'm Tampa Bay, Miami, Jacksonville. I'm curious to see yep. how those teams decide to handle their business. Because I believe last year the Dolphin Stadium was the first that was like given the clean bill of health by, I don't know, was it WHO? It was some organization that said, yeah, they have done this the right way right. to set up all this stuff to make sure everyone could, could get there and be safe. So I'm curious yeah. to see how the Dolphins, the Jags, and the uh, 
and the Bucks as defending champs uh, handle their business. Yeah, it remains to be seen, and we'll, we'll keep monitoring as it goes on and as more teams uh, add themselves, possibly, uh, to the list. But now, Trey, to our main story of the, of the night, to our main segment, our more than football segment. Tim Tebow was cut this week by the Jacksonville Jaguars. For those of you who don't know, the Jacksonville Jaguars are currently being coached by Urban Meyer, who was Tebow's coach in Florida. And what we're not going to do, Trey, is we're not going to talk so much about Tim Tebow I want to put the focus on Urban Meyer. I, I especially want to put the focus on Urban Meyer as a college coach who is used to having absolute power to make any decisions he wants without being questioned in small towns and rural states that have big powerhouse football schools, bringing that mentality to the NFL. Because as you correctly note, the Tim Tebow signing wasn't the first questionable decision that Urban's made since he's been in Florida. I believe Chris Doyle, the strength coach out of Iowa, who was subsequently fired, resigned, however it worked out, but dismissed for uh, alleged racism and other things. Um, Urban's in some hot water here. Let's talk about those decisions and let's talk about potentially Urban's mindset and whether or not that's going to work here in the NFL. Well, let's get a couple of things here. First of all, like you said, this is not a Tim Tebow bashing thing at all. I mean, Tim Tebow was presented an opportunity. It was something he wanted to do and he did it. So, you know, good for Tim. He had the opportunity. I don't know many people that really thought it was going to work, um, but he had an opportunity. He was granted an opportunity and he tried and clearly you could tell it was not working. So Urban Meyer did the only thing he could do, which was let Tim Tebow go because players know they know who can play and know who can't play. And if Urban had decided to keep Tim on, it would have created a much bigger problem than letting him go now. Like if he had right. stayed around and other people who could actually play tight end and contribute and they were let go, that would have been a huge problem for Urban Meyer. And before we get on anything else, Chris Doyle, there were allegations that he made players of color feel very uncomfortable. There wasn't overt racism, but he, he right. they didn't things didn't sit well with a lot of people with Chris Doyle at Iowa, and they've come out and said that afterwards. And and so to me, we've already seen two examples of Urban not figuring it out like the idea of bringing in chris after what he went through in iowa to a locker room made up of mostly african-american players and african-american men i'm not talking about teenagers no grown men grown men the idea that he thought that would be okay suggested there's a problem well trey let me let me jump in here for a second because when on this specific topic, when Chris Doyle ultimately was forced into resignation from the Jaguars because the, the shit storm that came from that was so immense, Urban eventually had to capitulate. Probably something he wouldn't have had to do if this was at Florida, by the way. Um, his statement – or well, I'm sorry, Maybe I'm, now. Maybe, maybe now. Maybe now. Maybe now. Maybe now. Maybe now with the, with the player empowerment movement that you're seeing in, Absolutely. Uh, in college but, football. At the at the time of his hiring in Jacksonville, it was already being questioned at the press conference. Like, what are you doing? Why are you hiring this guy? And his response was, I've known Chris for 20 years. Okay. I want to read you a, the statement from the Fritz Pollard Association yeah. as to what they believed about that, which is for, – for, oh, for those that don't know, the Fritz Pollard Alliance is to honor Fritz Pollard, who was the first African-American head coach in the NFL way back in the 20s. Uh, right. And, and then obviously they put up the color barrier and Kenny Washington then broke that barrier in the 40s as a running back for the Rams out of UCLA. Right. Absolutely. And, and this is what they said 
okay, in response to the hiring of Chris Doyle, but specifically what Urban Meyer said, illustrating his mindset, right? Which is um, Urban Meyer's statement, quote, Urban Meyer's statement, I've known Chris for close to 20 years, reflects the, quote, good old boy network that is precisely the reason there is such a disparity in employment opportunities for black coaches and the wrong white coaches being hired. This was a monumental disaster, but I want to focus in on the one quote they point, they pointed out from Urban Meyer, which was his saying, this is going to be fine. I've known Chris. I know Chris. We go back 20 years um, being representative of this good old boy network. And is his coming from that college rank where he has this absolute power, did that make him completely oblivious to what was going on around him? Well, listen, here, here's the thing. First of all, what you just said is a lot of the point. It's not about what you think. It's about what your players think. And if you can't reach your players, and if you can't understand where your players are coming from, you're going to have a problem, right? You're, there's going to be an issue. Um, and, you know, we went through this when Urban was at Ohio State with Zach Smith, the assistant coach, right. who we yep. kept around for a while. And that turned out to be an absolute great point. dumpster fire. Um so this is something that I think is going to be the biggest challenge for Urban Meyer. And as it relates to Tim Tebow, before we move on to Urban, I just want to say one thing. Sure. The disservice that Urban Meyer did was signing Tim Tebow in the first place. Like if, if you're if you were being and again, this is nothing against Tim. I want to be 100 percent clear about this. This mm -hmm. is a decision by Urban, which shows the learning curve he needs to catch up on quickly after the Chris Doyle thing, signing Tim Tebow. The courtesy would have been, let's bring in Tim for a workout and see what he looks like. Yes. And absolutely. you would have seen at that point, look, he's 33 years old. He last played in an NFL game a decade ago at a different position. It's probably not going to work. So, Tim, I appreciate your willingness to come in and work out for us. But, you know, really, this is probably a long shot. And I don't want to do you a disservice by – making you look bad on the field. Right. So the mistake was not doing that. The mistake was signing him to a contract. Immediately. Like, immediately signing him to a contract. That was a bad decision. Yep. Okay. Now the Chris Doyle thing becomes another bad decision. And this all leads to these question marks that we're talking about with Urban. By the way, I want to be 100% clear. If they go 12 and 4, none of this shit we're talking about will matter. It right. won't matter right. if he right. goes 11 and five or excuse me, 12 and five, 11 and six, 10 <laughs> yeah, and yeah, seven. To get that math formula right, down. Right, right. If they win, none of this matters, right? Like it, right. everything, whether you want it to be or not, whether you think it's fair or unfair is irrelevant. If he wins, sure, there's no problem. But, but I think the, the issue win, though, well, and that's the problem. thing though, he, he's, he's, from the outset, created an environment that inherently makes it harder to win earlier. From, from, because from an outset, he's created the ability to question. That's yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that's that's all it is. And you know the players hear that, though, right? The players are in the locker room. They're they're seeing all the shit on social media. They're seeing all the reports in the media. I can tell you, I got and like we said at the outset of talking about Chris Doyle. Um, the grown African-American men in that locker room could not have been thrilled that this guy was going to come in and, and be their strength coach. And we look at these two decisions. We talk about the, the, the Zach, uh, 
Smith, uh, Smith from Ohio State. These are all decisions Urban makes by surrounding himself with people who he either has previous relationships with or are serving more as yes men. Like, well, well, do you think there's people in his orbit? Hold on, hold on. It's more than that. It's more than that. Okay. Okay. You always want to surround yourself with people that you know. I got no problem with that. Right. The problem is you have to understand who your audience is, right? Yeah. And, and and this is the bigger and it's and by the way, we're using Urban as an example of the the landscape of littered failed yeah. college coaches in the NFL. Right. Like if we're being honest yeah, about Kelly, that, I mean we can go yeah. on and on. Here's the list in the Super Bowl era of successful college coaches that were really successful in the NFL. Dick Vermeil, Jimmy Johnson, Tom Coughlin, and Pete Carroll. Right. That's pretty much the list. Yeah. If you want to talk about guys that either made it to a Super Bowl, won a Super Bowl, had sustained levels of years and years of success, that's the entire list. So right. from the get-go, history suggests it's stacked against Urban Meyer. Yeah. So now you stack on these two very questionable decisions, and and you a, a head coach in the NFL. There are two kinds of coaches, head coaches in the NFL, right? There's really only two kinds. There is an X's and O guy who is absolutely brilliant and will figure out things schematically to make you succeed, a yeah. la. Bill Belichick, Bill Parcells. Mm -hmm. Then there are motivational head coaches, right? Jimmy Johnson, Herm Edwards was a motivational coach. There yeah. are guys that can get you ready to play. So there are two kinds of coaches. You got to figure out which coach you are, and then you got to figure out how to best reach your players. Right. And so far, you can, again, if they win, none of this conversation means shit. Right. However, You've allowed people to question the process by two early decisions that should have been easy wins for you. Yeah. And, and that goes back to what I was saying too about people in his orbit. Is there are these coaches, these college coaches, right, who who are usually not even accountable to their to their athletic directors, depending on the schools and the success they have as college coaches. Are, is there an issue where these guys are surrounding themselves? We'll call you can call them yes men. You can call it sycophants. No. However you want to call it. No, no, I don't, think, tell I, don't, them, I don't think. No, I don't think that's it at all. I, Did I, nobody tell I, Urban Meyer that this well, Tim Tebow thing's not going to work out, man? We shouldn't do it. Well, probably somebody should have. I don't know if they did or not. But the bigger issue is your mentality, right? I'll never forget this. We were doing NFL Live one day when Nick Saban was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. Oh, another, great, another great example. But No, but th this is, but this speaks to exactly what you're talking about. Okay. It is a different way to deal with players in the NFL than it is in college. Right. Nick Saban was doing a press conference at one point, and he blurted out something, which I think he believes, and it made sense, but you can't say it. He said, I don't care whether or not we win or lose. What I care about is that we get it right. That doesn't work in the not NFL. The, not the pro level. You, can, you cannot say, I don't care if we win or lose. Right. It's the only thing that matters. In fact, it became such a deal that then Dolphins PR director Harvey Green, who, by the way, I've actually played golf with over in Europe, but that's a separate story entirely, called <laughs> me up and said, hey, man, I want Nick to tell you what he was trying to say. I got on the phone with Nick. Like, look, this is what I was trying. We we're trying to build like – I get all that. And you're right. You want to build and do it the right way. 
But you can't say, you can't say when it. you're paid to win games, I don't care whether we win or lose. And it's that <laughs> mentality because whether Nick was at LSU or Michigan State or now at Alabama, he was building a program. He was building something that was going to last for right. years with all these different players. You don't get that leeway in the NFL. You either perform or you're out. It's yeah. that simple. And you can't say, I don't care whether or not we win or lose. I care about getting it right. The only thing that matters, did you win or did you lose? That's it. And coaches sometimes coming from college have a hard time with that basic concept in the NFL. Yeah, because it's it's not your you know look Nick Saban was famous for making a Dolphins player cry in training camp that I think his first year a grown draft pick he was he was in, in tears Zach Zach Thomas hated him and Jason Taylor you know hated playing for him and he's you know Zach a Thomas lot, a lot of players hate their coaches okay that's, that's for sure for sure a lot of players hate their coaches yes yeah. I mean you could find you Bill Parcells made a lot of people hate him you know Bill Belichick sure. made a lot of people hate him the the bottom line is. Can you establish a relationship of trust with your players? And that that I know what I'm doing, and I'm going right. to get the best out of you. And, and that's the thing, right, is those coaches had players who hated them. But because they won and they put winning first, it was like, all right, I'll go to battle with this guy. He pisses me off Monday through Saturday, but on Sundays I'll run through a wall for him. Correct. Nick Saban and, and the list of, of, of coaches, college coaches who have failed just haven't been able to figure that piece of it out. I'll tell you another great story about another legendary yeah. college coach, Steve Spurrier. Okay. Yep. When, well, Steve Spurrier, one. Yeah. When, when Steve Spurrier was the head coach of the Washington Redskins, first of all, they asked him about how much time he's going to put in. He said, Well, I see Jim Haslam, the Saints, you know, working 23 hours a day in the office, not helping them much. You know, first of all, so he's, he's already you know he's already gassing somebody that's in his coaching fraternity, right? Uh, and then Marvin right. Lewis, Marvin Lewis was his defensive coordinator when he was with the then Washington Redskins, now the Washington Football Team. Yeah. And Steve said, Steve said to Marvin one time, "Hey, uh, Marvin, I'm gonna take the offensive players and go over here. Why don't you take the defensive players and go over there?" And Marvin said to him, "Coach, we only have 53 players. We all practice together. You don't have 110. That's, that's how different." Yeah. everything is and you better catch on very quickly how different things are in the nfl how you have to relate to players how you have to run with players how you have to handle players how do you practice with players and how do you relate to them and right now whether it's you know whether it matters is irrelevant but right now urban's over two yep absolutely and uh, i'll put on my end i'll put a, i'll put a ball on this by saying trey you know i'm a behavior analyst i'm i'm very much into behavior and, and the way we behave as humans and, and and football players in particular college football nfl two completely different environments and it's the environments that govern our behavior right and you can't behave in one environment the exact same way in the other environment and expect the same results because it's not going to work. And that story you just told about Spurrier, what we've seen from Urban, going back to talking about Nick Saban, that's been the common denominator is their behavior has not changed for this new environment they find themselves in. And, 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 and that's their challenge. And, and listen, and, and the best coaches do that, okay? Like, give you an example, a couple examples. Why Bill Belichick is, in my opinion, the greatest coach ever. You could say, well, he had Tom Brady. I get all that. The year that Tom Brady was serving his four-game suspension, Jimmy Garoppolo started the first two games, got hurt in the game against the Dolphins in Foxborough. So they had to go play on a Thursday night game against the Texans, and they put in Jacoby Brissett. Right. In the time between Sunday and Thursday, they scrapped everything they knew offensively. 
because of what Jacoby Brissett was. Sure, he had such a different skill set. Yeah. And by the way, he's become a really much better passer and, and all that. But at that point, he was a really raw prospect and he was a better yep. runner. Yep. They ran more design quarterback runs in that win Thursday night over the Houston Texans in that one game that I think they did in the entire 17 previous years with Tom Brady as their quarterback. He adapted. Right. Bill Parcells, when he was the head coach of the Giants, let's run the ball. I got Otis Anderson. I got Joe Morris. We're going to pound you and play good defense. He drafts Drew Bledsoe. We are going to freaking light it up. And I think there was a game where Drew threw 70-plus passes uh, at, at one point. And, like, that's a Bill Parcells coach team? Yes, because he adapted to the talent he had. The challenge right. for everybody coming from college is to adapt to the new environment that you have, and that's the biggest challenge for Urban Meyer. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, Greg, that's all we have for topics on on, on our more than football show. Who the hell here. is Greg? Yeah. <laughs> Who the hell is Greg? Greg. 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 Where are you There's at? No Greg here. There's no Greg I'm here. Too. I'm not. Don't worry anything. about it, Barry. It's fine. Um. <laughs> I love it. Um. Trey, I love it, man. This was a lot of fun. Um. I am going to sign off, but uh, if you want to take us away with a nice little outro, anything you got coming up, anything you want to. Plug any Caesar stuff. Uh, don't be, you know, be a Caesar, man. Be a Caesar. Listen, yeah, just you can follow us all all year long on PFN. You can find Half Forgotten History. Got some great episodes coming up with some mm -hmm. Hall of Famers, and uh, yeah, look for stuff on my social platforms as well as Caesar's platform. We'll be doing some really cool stuff with them all year long. Yep, and we'll be guys. We'll be here each and every week, uh, twice a week. You'll get to see Trey, um, his beautiful face, and and my face with a bad haircut, slightly next to his, um, all throughout, all the way through the entire uh, NFL season into the NFL draft. So a lot of great stuff coming your way. Check us out YouTube. Download the podcast on anywhere you get podcasts. We'll also be putting this out on different social platforms at PFN three sixty five. Guys, stay up to date with the latest news. We have second rounds of cuts coming. Uh, coming. We have a lot of Injury news, unfortunately, that's coming. Carl Lawson's been injured for the Jets. All of that you can find on the up-to-the-minute updated news tracker at profootballnetwork.com. Profootballnetwork.com, check out the news tracker. Run a couple mock drafts on the mock draft sim. Uh, never too early to do a mock draft unless you're Trey who hates No, it's, it's, it's too early. <laughs> it's definitely too early. On that, we'll see you guys next week for more than football, a Trey Wingo podcast. See you guys. See